0: I'm Chris Gardner of Houston Round Bar View, speaking with Mark Adams, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, and I like to consider Mark as the drum major for the American Athletic Conference Men's Basketball. He's always touting the uh, teams in the conference. Mark,
1: how are you doing today? You know, uh, great, Chris. Great to be with you. And uh, and I tout the conference because it's true. And And what's really neat about what's going on in the conference right now is obviously, look, Houston's lost two in a row, but what it's done is... It's really made the race interesting. It's also made the race for bids very interesting. Now with SMU and Memphis being very much on the national scene, I know Kelvin talked about that yesterday in his presser, and so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today as well.
0: And let's get right into that. Uh, I asked Coach Sampson about what it would, in his opinion, what it would take to change the national narrative or the narrative and the perception of the conference. What do you think it would take to change the perception to get the American to be considered as more than just a, a one, even two bid league.
1: Well, for one thing that the league has been historically a two, three or four bid league. So, uh, you know, let's, let's make sure that we recognize that, uh, from, from the very first day with UConn winning the national title the very first year of the American Athletic Conference. And then you've got Houston going the final four last year. And Kelvin's answer was dead on. It's the win in March and have multiple teams win in March. I mean, that's the real key, because that's when every basketball fan, every broadcaster, every coach, every player is watching that tournament. And when you make runs with multiple teams, that's what changes the narrative. And look, the American has been there and has done that. But now this year, Houston sucked up all the oxygen in the league for a long time, and deservedly so, because Memphis was going through a soap opera. SMU, really good, but their non-conference schedule, they didn't have a marquee win. And so now with SMU beating Houston in Dallas, and now with Memphis coming in and knocking off Houston at home at the Fertitta Center, which like never happens, you know, it's really created a national buzz that I think is really healthy for the league right now. What has been, I mean, I think I know the difference, uh, one of
0: the keys to Memphis' turnaround, but in your opinion, what's been different for them?
1: So this is really interesting, Chris. Uh, I had their game against East Carolina a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday. And I went to shoot around. And the best way I can describe it was like a funeral. That that was the energy level of the practice. It was like a funeral. Okay. I come back a week later. The difference was, okay, Jaden Hardaway was in uniform. Uh, Jalen Duran was in uniform and DeAndre Williams and it was like a mosh pit. We went from a funeral to a mosh pit within 7 days. Right? And and I'll tell you why. DeAndre Williams, there's no question in my mind. In fact, I opened up the broadcast against UCF and and talked exactly about this point that this team there was a metamorphosis. I mean, almost overnight as soon as DeAndre Williams stepped on the floor Chris, the communication defensively changed in a moment. The energy level of all the teammates changed in a moment. It all flowed from him. And Jalen Dern is a much better player with DeAndre Williams than he is without DeAndre Williams. Because here's what Houston faces now, and everybody else faces. How are you going to guard the two of them? Because you're going to you're going to put one interior elite defender if you have one on one of them and then you got DeAndre Williams which is a hybrid big guy so who do you match up with him and then you got a bunch of other guys at Memphis in particular who are uber talented and then how do you match up with them and that that was really a problem for Houston and everybody else now because Houston is now healthy and those two bigs look individually they're both good And they're both good enough to be first team, second team, all-conference guys, right? But together, they're elite first team, all-conference guys. Because nobody else has a tandem quite like them in the American. And so that's the difference. DeAndre Williams brings a life and energy. He's such a positive force field for this Memphis team. And I saw it firsthand from one week to the next. It It was stark, Chris, how different it was.
0: What'll be, in your opinion, keys to for Houston to end their two-game losing streak?
1: Well, you know, you got UCF coming up, who also has some really good offensive weapons. Uh, but Houston's always been able to kind of get into perimeter guys. They're more of a perimeter type team. They have Chekembake Jong, who's a really good player, by the way, really great kid, too. Wonderful story, being from Senegal, uh, and he's and he's continued to improve. But there's only one of him. And then you got Brandon Mahan who can go off and he can go off in a big way. And then you got Darren Green Jr., who tends to play big in big games. I mean, against Michigan, he had 20 against Memphis. He had 20. He's, he's had some big games for them and he's added layers to his game from his freshman season. So I really like him. And then, D- and then Darius Perry as well. And so UCF brings a, a really good perimeter group. But what's one of Houston's strengths? I know they're not deep, okay I, I get that, but they tend to defend perimeter really well as well as interior unless they're just overwhelmed by the talent that Memphis happens to bring to the table. And so it starts on the defensive end, because remember, Houston, the last two games from three, I mean they've given up I, I think I'd have to look at my notes, but I, I know opponents have shot over 50 percent against right. them and over 40 percent the last two games from three. And so you know that's one thing that's not typical of a Kelvin Sampson coach basketball team. So they've got to get back to that. But but Chris, the bigger issue here is not UCF. The bigger issue now is that Houston is seeing exactly what Kelvin Sampson has been saying to everybody since December. They are not deep. And so as a coach, in fact, I did an interview just a week and a half ago that asked me, how do you beat Houston? And I said, number one, you run. Yes. You run out of a make. You run out of a miss. You press them to make them bring the ball up against pressure, even if you don't get a turnover. You double down on the offensive glass like they do. Why? Because then if they get a defensive rebound, they've got to push it. You force them to push it. Now, you got to sprint your butt back, right, and stop them. But I think you kind of do to Houston what, what Houston does to you, and then because of pace, you wear them down. You look at what SMU did that was an 80 point pace and what happened shots were short for Houston late in that game right Memphis even though it was a 70 point game for Memphis but they never relented on full court pressure and pushing 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 to make sure that Calvin Sampson couldn't protect his thin guards uh, you know and, and 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 that's what i told uh the, the gentleman that was interviewing me at that time and then you know SMU came out and just ran their butts off I mean, and eventually wore Houston down enough to win by two points. So I, I think that's how you beat Houston. And Kelvin's trying to figure out a way that he can rest his guys enough to keep them fresh for the last couple minutes of the game.
0: And you were on the call yesterday, uh, Tuesday morning. What do you think, you know, basketball guy, been around the game a long time, what do you think Coach Sampson and staff can do to help rest guys, slow tempo, control tempo? What What can they do?
1: Well, Counter for one thing, stuff. Yeah, I think you use your timeouts different than you normally would. Uh, I mean, I I think that you've got to use not only your media timeouts, but also, uh, your timeouts in a way that maybe you're not going to have as many timeouts late game situation because I think you strategically place those timeouts to get rest here and there. Um, the other thing that I think that you do is that, you know, between lineups and everything, I mean, you have to have some guards on the floor. So Kelvin is really hamstrung that way. Uh, but I, I think that you've got to give a minute. Here or there. I mean, even if it's a walk on where you can throw them in for a minute or two just to give a guy a blow, you also use television timeouts when you do that. So if you're going to use a, a, a guard that's further down your, your depth chart or roll a big guy into a two guard position, whatever it is, like a Fabian White, for example, who has decent ball handling skills and go to a really big lineup for, for some period of time. And again, Kelvin's very limited. I mean, I get it, but. I think you use those television timeouts then because you know when they're coming and you can get, you know, a guy out for a minute or so. And then they rest through the TV timeouts and then they come back in. So I think that there are creative ways to use your own timeouts, creative ways to use those TV timeouts. And then the other thing is too, I think at times you have to consider going zone. You know, one thing I learned as a young coach when we would play, you know, back to back on weekends and tournaments and things like that. Uh, or, you know, in, in the case of the Frontier Conference, when Kelvin and I played against each, coached against each other, we actually played the same team twice in two nights. So we played. play. Uh, yeah. I had, the, I had the, the great, uh, you know, honor of coaching against Kelvin back to back nights. You talk about a, a, a goddamn, you know, extraction of a, of a wisdom tooth. That's, that's the definition right there. And so, you know, what, what we used to do too was, especially on the second night, we might run a little bit more zone than we normally would. I know people say you're more active, you gotta be more active, that's bull crap. You're gonna be able to rest a little bit more in zone than you will in man to man, especially the Houston plays.
0: You mentioned to me right before we started that you're gonna see a lot of, uh, U of H games coming yeah. up. Yeah. What, you've covered the league I think since the beginning. How much has the program, U of H program changed from the beginning to now?
1: Uh, gosh, day and night. You know, Kelvin's first year was a losing season. Uh, when you look at the Fertitta Center and what it's done to energize that program versus what the arena looked like before. You know, what's really interesting about Kelvin, when, when they started having discussions about him coming and in, in coaching Houston, you know, Kelvin wasn't talking about salary and, and things like that. What he was talking about was the long-term commitment of the university to support a a, a national caliber program. I mean, he wanted to lay the the foundation for building the culture that he's built. And it's been brick by brick. That's, what's, that's what fascinates me. I was a program rebuilder and took a lot of pride in my ability to turn around programs. Uh, I, I think that, that Kelvin's sabbatical, if you will, in the NBA, I, I think it, it made him more rounded as a coach. And I also think it gave him time to think, if I come back, if I go back to collegiate coaching, Here's the things that have to be in place for me to want to come back. And Houston was the perfect fit because Houston wanted to be good. They've shown that through the investment. And they hired exactly the right guy who also had a plan that complemented the vision of what Houston wanted to be athletically. And now you're going to be going into the Big 12. So it's really worked out well with Dana on the football side, with Kelvin on the basketball side, and ultimately for the university to make that level of commitment with the beautiful Practice facility. with This will be my first time in the Fertitta Center, by the way. I, I've, okay. I've not been in the, in five years. I've done this league. I've never been in the Fertitta Center, so I've been in the practice facility, but I've never been there. And so I'm really looking forward to to get my first experience with all the Cougar fans in Houston.
0: Another thing that Coach Sampson mentioned in his Tuesday session was he talked about the conference as a whole and administration investing in their programs to be successful to maintain stability and success. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, if I'm an athletic director, uh I would probably spend time listening to that press conference. Because here's what happens now at the highest levels of athletics. Once upon a time, athletic directors had actually called timeouts. They were former coaches. And so they had a they they had part of their DNA was to understand what it takes to win. And also be empathetic toward a coach who might lose one game or two games or however many, and 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 instead of blaming the coach, looking at ways How can I help you along the way? And look, it's it's changed now. And this is not uh, an indictment on athletic directors, but athletic directors today are more businessmen and women than they are coaches. And so it's really changed the dynamic that way. And so if I had one constructively critical comment, recommendation to athletic directors across the country, it would be to enlist the help of the Kelvin Sampson's of the world. Matt Painter at Purdue, uh, you know, all kinds of guys that are across the country. Uh, Jay Wright at Villanova, Mark Few at Gonzaga. I mean, when when you think about success in individual conferences at Murray State, Matt McMahon in, in the OVC, you know, Belmont with Rick Byrd for all those years. I mean, if I was an athletic director today, I'd be setting up calls with those coaches and on the football side as well and in all sports, women's softball. <clears throat> You know, I mean, every sport, I'd be investigating what do you really need to win? And I'd be asking that, that competitive question of all these coaches from different sports to get their input. And then I would create my vision and my mission and my values around that learning period as an athletic director. Because I think AD's become so invested and so focused on the bottom line that sometimes they forget that, you know what? I have to hire great coaches, but I have to support great coaches. I can have a great coach, but if I don't support them in the right way, then nothing happens positively. And I think that's one thing that, that I would do as an athletic director today, to just be more professional.
0: What has been key to SMU success this season so far?
1: Well, for one thing, they're not on probation, and they have a full docket of scholarships. So that really helps because, Tim, I mean, you look at how Tim managed that whole situation and still won games. It's it's really amazing. He doesn't get enough credit for what he's done. The other thing about Tim Jankovic that I really enjoy, because I, I covered him when he was head coach at Illinois State way back when, and he lets his best player be his best player. Uh, I saw that at uh, Illinois State with Osiris Eldridge. Uh, I saw it with, with the point guard who ended up transferring to SMU, Nick, who's uh, escaping my – his last name is escaping my memory right now. Really good player, and I apologize, Nick, for not having your last name at the tip of my tongue right now. Uh, and then you got, you know, Kendrick Davis who, who he lets play. And then he was able to, because John Cooper's on his staff, John's former head coach at Miami of Ohio and at Tennessee state. John's a really good coach, by the way, but he had a couple of kids named Marcus and, and, and Michael um uh, Weathers at Miami of Ohio. And those guys kind of went different ways. They're brothers and, and they, they went different ways, but now they've come back together to play together at SMU. And that's been a competitive advantage. Those guys, they've played so much together they understand each other and it gives Kendrick Davis a batman gives him a robin and a green hornet you know he's got he's got a couple superheroes out there with him that maybe aren't you know top tier number one guys but they're really good one a guys and so smu has always been hard to guard because of the things that tim does offensively but they're uber hard to guard now because of the weather's brothers and then you throw in kendrick davis along with some other really athletic guys and I mean, I like the way SMU plays. I like the way they move the ball. And the fact is they got a Kendrick Davis who can kind of create a shot whenever he wants to. And they're better defensively than a lot of people think too. So I really enjoy watching uh, SMU, how they play. I think Tim does a, a wonderful job of managing his best player. And he's sprinkled a couple of, you know, another Robin and a Green Hornet in there to make SMU pretty special.
0: Speaking with Mark Adams, ESPN college basketball analyst. And we're almost done here, Mark. Just what are your thoughts on of the job coach Hunter has done at Tulane and coach Aaron McKee has done at Temple.
1: Yeah, it's really been incredible. Uh, we'll start with Aaron, you know, loses, uh, Caleb battle and then just re-engineers the whole thing. Uh, Jake Forrester goes down and all of a sudden, you know, you, have got different guys stepping up to fill holes and Damian Dunn. I mean, I asked, in fact, I asked, uh, one coach in the league. I won't say who it was because I told him I would keep it confidential, but I asked one, one coach in the league. Who's the hardest guy to guard in the American? And he said Damian Dunn. You know, I thought that was pretty interesting because I, I I felt the same way. And he said he might be better actually without battle in the lineup because Damian does need the ball in his hands, and so does Caliph. So it would have been interesting to see how Aaron would juggle that, you know, along the way. But but I, I thought that was interesting how Aaron kept his team in the game at Tulane. He literally had four starters that weren't available that day. Starting back in December, when we talk about right. Caleb Battle and Forster and those guys. And Dunn didn't play either. And they take Tulane into overtime. Damn near beat them in New Orleans. And then you look at the job that Ron Hunter has done. Again, another guy that lets his best player be his dude. And Jalen Cook is unbelievable. Man, I had him against Wichita State. He came out five for five to open the game. He made the best play I've seen this year where he's defending, tips the ball, dives for it, throws a pass back over his head, a no-look pass for a dunk to Jalen Forbes. I mean, it was just a, a tremendous athletic play for, you know, the defense, the dime, the dunk. I mean, I'm going crazy. You know I me, mean? I get kind of excited about those things. And it was really, really fun to watch. And then he's got Forbes and he's got Cross as well. Again, you got, you got a couple superheroes there along with your Batman. So I think they're really hard to guard. And, and the way that Ron runs that zone, it's, it's not typical. Uh, I think coaches make a mistake when they run their quote unquote zone offense against Tulane. If, if I'm a motion guy, which I am, by the way, I like running motion. I'm not a big ball screen guy. I do it some, but even with my fifth grade team, you know, but I'm more of a motion guy. I'd run motion against that zone because in the end, what it really is is sort of a switching man. And, and, and I, and I think that the more that you stand and the more that you stall the ball, the more it lends itself to the way that Tulane plays. I mean, Ron told me every time the ball stops, that's to our advantage. And you'll notice that when teams play against them, they run their zone offense and they get the spots and they catch and they look and there's one or two cutters. And, You know, I think everybody's got to move against that thing. That's just my personal opinion.
0: Mark Adams, always fun talking to you, Mark. And, uh, hopefully we'll get you a chance to touch base around tournament time. It always uh, appreciate your time and I think I'll see you, uh, hopefully. I'll wave at you from my seat, uh, Thursday, uh, cause you'll be on the floor and I'll be higher up. But, uh, as always, well, Mark, Text, much.
1: text me where your seat is, cause I want to make sure I come by and say hello either way. That was good, Mark. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Chris. See ya. Alright, bye bye.